Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest episode of the Cortalinas podcast. I'm your host, Zach Lowy, uh, and I'm here today with an amazing guest with Tomas da Cunha. Tomas is one of the best analysts in Portugal, and I always enjoy reading his tweets. And so it's really awesome to finally have him here on the show. I reckon we could do this podcast in about the Bundesliga, about Ligue 1, about La Liga, so many different leagues, such as Tomás's knowledge. But we're going to be mainly focusing on Portuguese football, as is customary, with Cortalinhas. Uh, how are you doing, Tomás? And first off, can you tell me a little bit about your career? Because, you know, you are a uh, commentator on 11 Sports and TSF Radio, and you are also the creator of uh, Onzi Medios. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about how you got started and how you got to be uh, one of the best analysts in Portugal, if not in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Zach. Hello, everyone. Uh, first of all, thank you for the appreciation, and thank you for the invitation, of course. It's amazing how an American guy is so interested in Portuguese league and Portuguese football <laughs> and with so many knowledge. Uh, thank you for, for the invitation. And, uh, in my um, case, I was a um, uh, commentator on 11 sports, like you said, and on TSF, but uh, I was a um, uh, freelancer. Uh, I hope um, I expressed well in, in English, but um, in my case, Portuguese football was my passion earlier, but um, I uh, discovered many football in uh, earlier ages, and then I uh, hope to work more and more and more to, to get the, the best knowledge possible. Absolutely. It's an honor to have you on, and I'm super excited because we've got a lot to talk about. First thing that I want to get into, typically the biggest game of the season, but it seemed like it lost a bit of relevancy yesterday. Uh, because of the circumstances, Porto and Benfica coming into play yesterday, just right before the Europa League semifinals, one day after Sporting's 2-0 victory over Huav. 1-1 draw, Everton Cebolinha opening the scoring for the Aguias with a tremendous goal. Mateus Uribe evening the scoreline later on with you know a few minutes left. So I wouldn't say that either side is happy from that result. I think the only team that's happy from that is Sporting because the fact that Porto didn't win is another massive step in helping them secure their what will be their first title in 19 years. I think that this game, Superclasico, followed the pattern of what we've seen for the most part in big games in Portugal this season. You know, pretty cagey, a lot more talk about the fouls and a lot of controversial calls rather than any, you know, standout performer or any tactical setup. You know, I definitely think it was more uh, determined by that. A lot of controversial calls that we can get into, such as, you know, Marega and uh, Vertonghen, Sergio Oliveira and Weigel was another. So a lot of controversial calls, but at the end of the day, Neither team, I think, is satisfied. Uh, Benfica probably less satisfied than Porto, but at the end of the day, the only team that's satisfied from this result is Sporting because this means that Porto uh, don't keep distance with them and means that Sporting are pretty much guaranteed to win their first league title in the next week, okay? So, Tomas, what did you make of this game? I believe you were at the game, and what, what did you make of it? Yes, uh, totally. I was at the stadium, and um, in the end, it was totally clear that um, uh, neither one of the teams was um, uh, happy with uh, the result. 
Porto was better. I think it was uh, clear uh, during the first 80 minutes of the of the game. In the uh, last 10 minutes, Porto tried to um, uh, to get the victory. That's um, uh, create more spaces back to Benfica and export counterattacks with Darwin Nunez on the side of João Mario. That um, is a winger, an offensive uh, player, and the Benfica could get the victory also. But uh, technically, uh, I think Sergio Conceição was better than um, Jorge Jesus, with Otavio more advanced to, um, to press the Benfica's uh, centre-backs. And then um, uh, Porto creates many difficulties to, to Benfica to, um, uh, to build up, to get um, uh, occasions in the first half. We um, get the, the first um, demonstration of talent with uh, the goal of uh, Everton Cebolinha. It's uh, clearly in the the, boss, the the better period as a Benfica player. Clearly, it was the third consecutive game of Everton's Bolinha creating a goal for Benfica, assisting or, or um, scoring. It's clearly um, uh, was a disappointment during the, the most part of the season. But now we are seeing the the best Everton's Bolinha. Benfica season is a disappointment also, and uh, didn't get the win in the, neither of Classicals, Nice, Sporting, uh, or Porto. Befica wasn't capable of getting the, the three points in uh, every cases. Jorge Jesus has established the, this system with uh, three in the back, three in the front uh, also, with Everton Spolini and Rafa uh, supporting Seferovic. But Befica has um, many difficulties uh, to um, uh, impose themselves in the, the big games. Absolutely. Um, no Tecatito Corona for this game, so a bit difficult for Porto. But I'm not sure I'd say that they were the better team. They definitely did have more concerted, long consecutive runs of possession, whereas I thought Benfica tried to build up kind of quickly and trying to exploit Porto's weaknesses with the pace of Everton, uh, as well as Hoffa. I thought Hoffa was, you know, incredible. Uh, very, very important in that and causing Porto a lot of difficulties. I want to get your take, though, on... One thing that I think may change, um, and it's Benfica's back three. So yesterday we saw Benfica once again play with the back three. Porto tried to exploit the spaces uh, in between Grimaldo and and Vertonghen, right? Trying to, you know, taking advantage of Vertonghen's lack of space by... Kind of the same thing that they did in the in the sporting match, you know, trying to flood in balls to Marega as well as, you know, getting Manafa involved to some degree and trying to exploit that. You definitely would have more uh, expertise on this than I would. But do you think that a back three is the way forward for Benfica for under George Jesus? I mean, we've seen how much uh, how much benefits it can bring in the form of sporting's uh you know, title that they're about to win. But do you think it's the right choice for this Benfica team? I think this option of Georgia Jesus explains for the necessity, the need of Benfica to get Otamendi, Vertonghen and Lucas Verissimo in the same eleven. Are strong players. Vertonghen have suffered with Marega's movement in the back. So I think George Jesus will have to establish this system. Because um, uh, I think there are no uh, options to um, exclude Vertonghen, Otamendi, or Lucas Verissim for the 11 right now. And um, this system uh, permits that Diogo Gonçalves um, uh, can uh, advance in the right side and Grimaldo also in the left side. Grimaldo is a weak player defensively, have um, problems. And uh, with Vertonghen in the back, Benfica could have more uh, stability. 
but Marega also had a cost problem, so it was in, uh, clearly for the for who uh, who have assisted the game. Lucas Brissim, in my opinion, was the more solid player in the defensive um, uh, back three of Benfica in the aerial duels and in anticipation, also protecting the box. It was uh, for me the, the best Benfica player in, uh, in this game. What would you say about the people who think that Grimaldo would be a good fit for Paris Saint-Germain left-back problem? He's a creative left-back, technically evolved, but with many problems defensively. To protect his back, he's a player who didn't evolve so much in the last years. This season, it's not the best of Grimaldo as Benfica player. This system, okay, it's, um, uh, it permits that Grimaldo get um, in more in front and uh, not so uh, responsibly defensively, but I think uh, the player has some limitations for the uh, highest level. I, I completely agree with that. Um, moving on to Everton, though, because I think that outside of Verissimo, I thought he was probably Benfica's best performer. You know, had a phenomenal goal to put them in the lead. Been a great uh, month. For him, not a great season, but uh, you know, you, you are seeing him catching fire in the home stretch of the season. I think that definitely points well uh, for next season because it seems like he's adapted to uh, you know taking that adaptation from Brazil to Portugal. In the past month, we've seen him produce an assist against Passos de Ferreira, uh, get a goal against Portimonense, and score against Tondela and Porto in his last two games. Talk to me about Everton. What have you made of his season? Just how important is he going to be for the Aguias going forward? And what do you think he needs to improve on to take the next step? I think the 4-4-2 system that uh, Jorge Jesus used in um, early uh, of the season didn't um, benefit uh, the skills of Everton's Bolini. He's um, a wing player, a player to receive open to get the, the, the ball and then advance in the situations of one against one in the Benfica's model, didn't get comfort. We didn't see Everton's Bolinha of Brazil, of Grêmio, and a confident player who gets risks in, in a one against one. But now we are seeing that Everton. And I think it's clear that Jorge Jesus, maybe the system, brings more confidence to, to Everton's Bolinha. He uh, gets more risks really now. In the, it obviously brings more benefits to Benfica. It's a great player, an, an amazing player, a great investment also. And uh, this disappointment could be also uh, maybe compensed for the next season. One of the great things about having you on here is that you do watch a decent amount, not just European, but South American football too. So you are clued up on you know all these players coming in from Brazil, Argentina, Colombia, so on and so on. Talk to me about another Gremio player who's about to go to Portugal, going the other way this time though, going to Porto, Pepe. So like Everton, right? Pepe really started to showcase his skills at Gremio and uh, Porto have already lined up a deal to bring him in. Is he going to be a Tecatito replacement? That remains to be seen. What do you make of Pepe? Do you think he's going to have a similar season to that of Everton? Where where, where do they differentiate? And where, uh, where do they share similarities as players? Yes, I think they have more similarities than differences. Pepe is also a left-winger. He's a right-footed player, but he plays mostly on the, on the left side. 
soon uh, attack the area. He's a player with goal, he's a player with uh, many paces, a great player attacking spaces. And I think um, it will fit perfectly in Porto's system with Sergio Conceição. Probably Tecatito Corona or Luis Diaz uh, are uh, being transferred in the, in the next market. But uh, I think Pepe is um, uh, possibly the, the best signing of Porto to, uh, to attack in the, the last months. Pepe is a young player, he's a player with uh, so many time to evolve, to adapt to Portuguese football, but I think in terms of uh, skills, in terms of uh, ability to score goals, it's um, a certain uh, sign for Porto. What did you think of uh, Luis Diaz yesterday, right? Getting the start on the left flank of Porto's 4-4-2 in the place of uh, Tecatito. How did you think he did? Do you think that he's shown a lot of flashes, a lot of impressive performances, but hasn't really managed to nail down a place in the starting 11? Conceição typically preferring to go with that Uribe and Sergio Oliveira double pivot. By the way, for anybody who's uh, listening to this, make sure to check out our article on Breaking Lines on Sergio Oliveira uh, that we published this week from Pedro Garvajo. Very good. Highly recommend it. Um, but yeah, Sergio Oliveira and Mateo Suribe in the double pivot with Otavio and Tecatito, typically on the wings this season. So what do you think is stopping Diaz from taking that next step. Done pretty well in terms of the translation from South America to Europe, but it does seem like there's more to come from him. And I think we saw that a bit in yesterday's match, honestly. There are two players in front of uh, Luis Diaz right now, Tecatito Corona and Otavio. Different players, so of course. Otavio, uh, more midfielder. Tecatito Corona, more winger. Luis Diaz is um, um, more um, similarity to, to Corona than with Otavio, of course. But um, in that case, I think um, uh, Luis Diaz is um, a sub-player right now in Porto. He's a player with um, uh, pace. It's a player um, that can, can give speed to Porto's game. I think Sergio Conceição uh, used uh, Luis Diaz to uh, cause problems to Diogo Gonçalves, the uh, winger in the right side of Benfica. He's getting um, well in, uh, in this position. Uh, Carrilero, I don't know how, how the term is in Wing. English. Wing back. Yes, 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 wing back. So uh, I think that was the, the intention of Sergio Conceição. But with this, have uh, two, three plays uh, which caused some problems uh, to Benfica. But in general terms, it wasn't a big match of uh, the Colombian uh, winger. Yeah, I think that's all the attention this match deserves. I mean, no disrespect, but this wasn't a great spectacle. It's, at the end of the day, it doesn't change much in terms of the playing field. Porto and Benfica split the points, split the spoils. Uh, Porto almost certain to get the automatic Champions League qualifying where uh, with second place, whereas Benfica are going to almost certainly have to play their way in via the qualifiers, via the playoffs. We've seen just how much of a stumbling point that can be, both with Porto, Benfica, even with Sporting, you know, going back to the start of the season against uh, Lask, Lask Lins. So definitely a roller coaster for a lot of Portuguese teams. We'll see what happens with that. This has pretty much solidified the table. We've got number two, Porto, number three, Benfica, four, Braga, five, Pachos, and then a bit more congested in the middle of the table. Let's talk about number one for a bit, because Sporting are number one. They're flying. They had a bit of a blip in form, I think around the end of April, right, with a lot of testy results, even, even in some victories where they grinded out, such as against Farange, wasn't a 
super convincing performance, but few string of, you know, very good results for them, capped off, of course, by that win uh, with 10 men against Atraga, and they've pretty much got nine fingers on the championship, right, as we call it, after beating Kyoav 2 nothing. Talk to me about this sporting team. Um, it seemed like they were definitely at risk of maybe not losing the title, but getting themselves into a very tricky head-to-head title race with Porto in the final few weeks. They've really found a way to uh, resist and and just and and get grind out these impressive results. Uh, what did you make of Sporting's victory over Huab as well as their general form over the past few weeks? Now I think the the team is playing without pressure. The final test was in Braga when Sporting wins uh, with ten men, Mateus Nunes goal, and now I think Sporting is uh, already a champion. It feels like a champion. And um, uh, it's the more uh, solid team of the season in Portugal. Uh, no losses until now. It's um, an amazing campaign of sporting. No spectacular team, but uh, a very consistent team uh, defending. Ruben Amorim in the system with three in the back, uh, two wing backs also. And then the, the stability with Palinha and João Mario in the middle gives the team uh, many comfort in uh, just running the games. With the Paulinho, uh, the best display also in, uh, in this uh, Villa do Condes match. Paulinho with uh, many movements and uh, supporting the midfielders, also scoring a great goal to, to sealing the win. I think this sporting team now is uh, playing without, uh, without pressure, many confidence, and uh, the team defends really well. Didn't concede uh, many uh, options to score to the to the rivals, and then the title is uh, near. Definitely, you know, impressive result at Huav, and we saw a bit of a surprising start for João Pereira. I think when Sporting do win this title, I think one of my favorite statistics will be the fact that João Pereira, a guy who's a year older than Ruben Amorim was on this sporting team. Uh, it's just it's just a statistic that kind of blows my and mind. And they are friends. They are friends, friends, right? And I think that actually, if you look back, uh, all the way back, I'm pretty sure Joao Pereira is the only one of this sporting team that, that actually played an active role in a league title, you know, going back like probably 15 years to that, right, Benfica team of the mid-2000s. I mean, Antonio Adan, I think, won a few, one league title at Real Madrid, but he was, you know, third choice at the time. Dropa on the other hand, kind of the only one who actually, you know, played a leading role in that. I want to touch up on one player in particular from this match because apart from Joao Pereira, um, who continues to be a presence in this in Portugal, uh, one player who really impressed me, I've been really critical of in recent weeks, is Paulinho. You know, getting the start, Ruben Amorim continuing his confidence in him despite kind of a shaky run of form and uh, really getting an impressive performance as the center forward in, in Huben Amorim's 3-4-3 and bagging a goal to lead Sporting uh, to a 2-0 victory over Hiawav. It's good to see from Paulinho, right? He's had a pretty difficult start to life in Lisboa, had a good game against Warner and Inch, but really kind of sandwiched between either bad performances or injury troubles. What did you make of Paulinho's performance and do you think he's going to take a step up and return to that sharpshooter that we saw last season at Braga? Yes, I think so. It's um, a case uh, of lack of confidence. 
and not uh, a case of uh, lack of quality. Paulinho is um, uh, one of the best strikers in Portuguese league. We saw it uh, in Braga. Ruben Amorim knows uh, him well. And then I think this um, connection between Ruben Amorim and Paulinho, this confidence to, uh, to improve in the team, I'm sure and, uh, could get his results in, in the long term. Paulinho is um, uh, obviously uh, a player who didn't get the, the best displays in his first times, but uh, I think the, with the more um, routines with the team, he can get better and better. It's um, a player not so uh, youngster. He has uh, 27, I think, or 28. But is uh, a, a player who gives uh, intelligent moves on, on the front, uh, principally in, uh, supporting the midfielders, uh, playing uh, to, back to the goal. And then I, I think Paulinho is um, really a good player technically, not um, a strong striker in the shooting. It's not um, a matador, como se nós dizer. A killer, a killer in the box. Yes, yes. Not, it's not a killer, but it's a, um, a striker who gives... Right. support to the midfielder and, uh, and create plays. Definitely. I think that a very promising performance from Paulinho, it's good for him to recover that confidence that seemed like had been betraying him. Definitely going to be an important player for Sporting. Um, and it, he's shown that he has what it takes to turn it around. One player, though, I want to touch up on going back to, not the last match, but two matches ago and looking at... Uh, the match on Saturday when Sporting faced off against bottom-placed Nacional at home. Theoretically, should be the easiest match, right? Going up against home against the last-place team in the league. But it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy for Sporting. They made it hard for themselves. Even with 10 men, Nacional still did a good job of shutting up shop and causing Sporting a lot of issues. But we saw the emergence, or we saw one player kind of take the game by the scruff of his neck and change the game in Sporting's favor. And that man's name is Jovan Cabral. Coming off the bench, Cap Verdean winger, and setting up Zuhair Fidal's opening goal with a fantastic cross, winning a penalty and converting that. Overall, just a really promising super sub performance from the 22-year-old, a player who perhaps can be upset that he hasn't gotten more playing time. Obviously, Pote, uh, Pedro Gonçalves has been one of the best players. But aside from that, you know, not really any player who's been on the level, uh, be it Thiago Tomas or, or Nuno Santos or, you know, yes, you know, good performances here and there, but nobody really as consistent as Pote. I think that Jovan, let's just say he's, he's shown what he can offer in that performance against Nacional. Talk to me about Jovan. What do you make of him as a prospect? Just 22 years old, still a lot to come from him. How good do you think he is? And, and what does he need to work on to take that next step? Jovan's best moments was in the last season, post-COVID. He was the sporting main figure in that moment. But really, in this sporting system, I think Ruben Amorim preferred um, uh, the, uh, the skills of uh, Tiago Tomás and Nuno Santos in terms of um, characteristics. They um, are um, two players, more weak attacking spaces. In this, this sporting um, lives so well attacking spaces in the back of the, the rival's defense. And Giovanni is not so quick. I think um, uh, that is the uh, principal point to uh, Ruben Amorim prefer Tiago Tomás or Nuno Santos. And uh, the other player is Pedro Gonçalves best scorer of the team, a difficult player to, to substitute on the team. In this case, I think Jovan Cabral's role on the team 
is really that super sub role to to get off the bench and uh, then helping the team uh, with goals and assists. Jovan, yeah, very much that agitador, as, as we say yes. in Portugal, right? Be kind of a player who, who will make that impact off the bench. bit similar to Pedro Neto's goal. Um, Pedro Neto's, you know, role for Portugal before he got injured um, in making that difference off the bench. Yeah, and it's it's a bit tricky for him because is he's that player who is going to make that difference against tired uh, defenses. But with performances like that, not just in, it's not hardly a one-off. We've seen him score a ton of really crucial goals uh, over the course of the past year or so. I can see Jovan's argument that he deserves a starting spot. And but you know, as you said, a player who who had his best form, like Eduardo Cruzma. Uh, after after the restart of, of, of football um, and saw his role kind of take a dip with the arrivals of Nuno Santos as well as Pedro Gonçalves. So it'll be interesting, to say the least, what happens with Jovan. I do think he's going to have an important part to play, though. And Sporting uh, has no many options on the bench offensively. Right. They don't have many options, right? They have Diago Tomas now that Paulinho sort of, you know, shown that. We, you know, Diago Tomas off the bench, for the most part, we've seen them partner each other from in some occasions. And, you know, as well as Gonzalo Plata, who hasn't really kicked on since joining as a highly rated Ecuadorian talent. But yeah, Jovan, definitely the best super sub there. So a lot of potential there. Maybe we'll see something from Joelson Fernandez uh, in the final you know, weeks of the season. Who knows? We'll see. I know Joelson is also uh, a highly rated talent from Alcochete Academy. I want to touch up on another player now from Sporting, though, because one player who hasn't had perhaps the impact of Pedro Gonçalves or Antonio Dan, but has been pretty important so far has been João Mario returning after five years, I think, four, four or five years uh, after that, you know, huge transfer to Inter Milan and nailing down a starting spot alongside João Palinha in the double pivot. And we've seen him have an important role in a lot of big games, especially that that match against Porto. I thought he was one of Sporting's better performers. But overall, I do think that while he does have his value, João Mario also doesn't really offer certain things in possession or in the final third that a player such as Daniel Braganza and Mateus Nunes may offer. Talk to me about Joao Mario. Do you think that Sporting should make his loan permanent? And what what is your take on him getting the, the majority of minutes over players such as Mateus Nunes or Daniel Braganza? It's not a brilliant season of Joao Mario. I think uh, that it's clear. But um, I also think that, um, uh, that Joao Mario is a crucial player on the team because uh, this Sporting team is many vertical. It gets uh, the ball to, to the attack with uh, quickness. And uh, João Mario brings some calm, some pause to the attacks. And he gets the ball, he's, he chooses the best options. And that is important. Mateus Nunes is um, a pace midfielder, is um, a player to get the ball to, to the attack. Also, Braganza have more similarities. But João Mario is not a player who takes uh, many risks. And I think that is important to bring some calm and some uh, organization to the sporting attacks. Also, for um, uh, João Mario to be a player 
was um, born in the academy, I think that is important that sporting guarantee is continuity for the future. For the future. Definitely. I think that João Mario's leadership role is super important, given the fact that a lot of these players, they, no offense, but they just aren't or like winners, like João Mario, a Euro winner is. Uh, they just don't have that experience. You know, nothing wrong with that. So definitely important to get him in. Uh, I do think they will try to make his loan permanent. But I, I do think that Amorim needs to be a bit more flexible in his scheme, you know, try to catch some teams off guard by going with potentially Braganza, uh, Paulinha, and Nunes in midfield. You know, who knows? Trying to find something with that 3-5-2. Yeah, Ruben Amorim tries that in some games of the season. Right, exactly. So for the most part, he's gone with that 3-4-3. But, you know, we've seen, especially in that match against Vitoria, where he, he will try that diamond in 3-5-2 some cases, you know, an, a different similar scheme. Overall, Sporting are about to win the league title in 19 years. And that's something special. That's something really special. But I want to get into the other team of that match. I want to get into Kyoav. Kyoav, last season... Beat up from Alicao for the final Europa League spot on the final day of the season uh, with that, you know, really impressive attack uh, of Meritaremi and Nuno Santos. Santos going the other way to Sporting, whereas Taremi joined Porto. And both players, you know, being starters in both teams, Huav haven't really managed to replace either, though. Haven't managed to find an adequate replacement. So... Huav getting getting into the Europa League qualifiers on the final day of the season. Of course, having that, I don't know, 13 penalty kick. Just one of the longest penalty kick shootouts I've ever seen in my life against AC Milan back in September, I think. Or Yeah, and, and just, just an incredible uh, shootout. Came so close to, to beating Milan. But, you know, of course, losing Carlos Carvalho. Um, and, and now with Miguel Cardoso as manager. now. They're not chasing Europe League football. Now, they're fighting relegation. Talk to me about this Hiuav season. I mean, what has gone wrong for them? I mean, they haven't been terrible for, for the entirety of the season. It just seems like over the past few weeks, they've been definitely one of the coldest teams in terms of form in Portugal. And things could get scary for them uh, because this relegation fight in Portugal is no joke. It really is. Yes, Juan uh, is a big disappointment in this um, uh, Portuguese league. I think that the problem begins um, with uh, the incapacity to uh, choose um, a best coach uh, or a um, uh, coach that uh, brings some guarantees uh, to um, substitute Carlos Carvalhal. And then also the players. Uh, you have Luz and uh, Taremi and Nuno Santos and uh, the players um, uh, who came to the attack didn't um, get the, the, the same um, uh, performances. In case of Taremi, for sure, there are no players similar in the, in the squad of you have. And then uh, Miguel Cardoso was not um, a, a, technical, um, a coach who can improve the team, and now I think Ruav is the um, worst team in the league in terms, uh, in terms of um, moments. A, a team with problems defending, a team we didn't create chances, and didn't score goals. It's not um, completely excluded the idea of a uh, relegation. Yeah. Miguel Cardoso, I, I mean, I think that he's, he's a coach who had a lot of promise back in the day, 
uh, back in his in his first spell at Huav, but now it just seems like certain you know failed moves at Nantes, uh, at Celta. A.K. Offens, you know, going with the Fernando Santos route and trying to prove himself in Greece and now just not really doing a great job at Huav. Sad to see, and we'll see what happens with Huav because in terms of quality, you know, I think they have this quality in their squad to be a perennial top-half team. Uh, this is pretty out of the ordinary for them, shall we say, to go from playing European football against Milan to being in the second division uh, would just be pretty pretty incredible for them. But we'll see what happens with regards to Huav. I want to move on, though, from these two matches and and take a look at some managerial changes. So the first one, obviously the most important in Portuguese football, is the news that Pepa is going to join Vitoria de Guimarães. This summer it seems pretty much nailed on. Uh, Pepa, Vitoria have been, how do we say this? They've been sort of a powder keg this season, letting go of Ivo Vieira at the end of the season of last season, and then kind of been a power vacuum, shall we say. We've talked about this before, João Henriquez, right? But seems like they're going to go with Pepa, who has had a fantastic season at Passos Chifajira, going from a, a team that's going to be probably playing, that's, that's certainly going to be playing European football next season, to a team that probably won't. What do you make of the choice from Pepa to go to Vitoria, do you think it's the right call for them in terms of going for him? And uh, do you think that Pepa should have aimed higher or do you think it's a good choice for him? It's difficult. Um, Vitoria is um, a difficult club to work and uh, Normally, the coaches uh, who arrived didn't um, stay many years. It's a difficult club with um, some uh, desires of um, improving, but um, season after season, they um, didn't um, get the best results. It's um, um, a squad with problems in the back. The level of defensive players are not the same of offensive players. Quaresma, Estupinian, Marcus Edwards, for example. But in the back, they have uh, so many problems. Many youngsters uh, didn't adapt well to the Portuguese football. And um, in the reality, Passo Ferreira is a more stable club to, to work of, uh, than Vitória. It's uh, a big step if uh, it works well, but not uh, a great step if uh, the context of the club gets gets people. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, but did, did Vitória's uh, sporting director, Carlos Freitas, not just uh, depart at, in just a few weeks ago? Yes, yes. They, I think they will they will leave the club or leaving right now. I'm not sure. But yes, no, not working more in the club. Yeah. So Passos Chipeta currently fifth in the league with 49 points with three games to play. Vitoria are sixth, seven points uh, behind. So it is confirmed that it is confirmed that Passos will have that fifth place spot. So Vitoria, on the other hand, a lot closer to Belenenge, Morenenge, and Santa Clara. So it's an interesting step for him. But I do think that Pepa, you know, at least in the earlier stages, because Passos uh, have dropped off a bit over the past few months, but I do think that apart from Amorim, who certainly should get coach of the year, I think that Pepa 
has has a strong case to be the runner up because apart from Amorim, I think I'm not sure there's a coach who's done a better job in Portugal this season than he has with that Passos squad. Right, getting them to European football, getting them to fifth place, getting the most out of players such as you know Steven Lustakio, Luis Carlos, Jordi, Luther Singh, so on. And it's so probably Passos and their best players. Probably, definitely Lustakio, I think, which we'll get into. Yes. In a bit. Let's just talk about Peppa. What do you make of Peppa as a coach? And how do you think a Peppa team would work in Vitoria de Guimarães? Which players, you know, we've talked about Vitoria having to bring in new defenders, which I completely agree with. Uh, when you look at the players that they have right now, you know, Moomin, Utada, I think that there's definitely, there isn't any Tapsoba in this defense, right? There isn't an Edwin Tapsoba. Um, so definitely agree that they need to bring in more quality in, in, in the back line. But overall, how do you think uh, a Pepa Vitoria would shape up? Pepe is a coach with uh, a positive mentality. Normally, didn't uh, brings the the teams to to confront the the great squads, for example, of of this Portuguese league, with um, a defensive approach. But I think um, Vitória, having so many problems uh, to defend well, it's a complicated scenario. Uh, Pepe will um, uh, have the the need of uh, transfers of new players to the defensive back because um, uh, his game. Passes and many for the, that organization. Uh, the defensive back, their relationship with the, the midfielder's line. Also, this Passos Ferreira is um, a good team, but not not so creative in terms of offensive uh, ideas. And I think um, uh, this Vitória is um, uh, many exigence uh, step to, to Pepper. Yeah, Vitória, they're a team that has what it takes to be a perennial European team, right? Pretty much nailed down. Vitoria is like a Roma, for example. Right, exactly. They're many, like many ambitions, but the reality, it's it's other uh, other stuff. That's a great comparison. Vitoria de Guimarães are the Portuguese Roma, essentially, right? They have a lot of quality, I think, in midfield uh, with players such as Pepe Lu and uh, Andre Andre, and as well as in attack with uh, Marcus Edwards. And um, Hoshinha, uh, Andre Almeida, Oscar, you know, I, I think that there's definitely potential there for Peppa to do a lot. If, if there's any player that you think will go up two levels or three levels under Peppa, because we've seen just how much he can work magic with players uh, such as Ustakio. And, you know, Luther Singh, another great example, uh, you know, a player who's been really important for them. Really so many players. I mean, Marco Baixinho, so many players who've gone up another level under Pepa this season. If there's any player that you think is, is ready to take the next step under Pepa and who would just go another level with him, who do you think it is? Vitoria's um, uh, biggest talent right now is Andre Almeida. It's uh, having uh, more and more minutes, uh, more and more confidence in, in the first team. And I think they will um, uh, definitely get the, uh, a role player in the, in the next uh, season with Pepe. Andre Almeida is uh, really one of the uh, principal prospects in, uh, in the Portuguese football outside of the, the big teams. Andre Almeida, a player who, not the Andre Almeida of Benfica, but I do recall him playing right back on one occasion for Vitoria. Player who's, you know, really versatile and technically gifted. We're going to be seeing a lot of him. Uh, and I think that staying at Vitoria is the right move for him. Tomas, you, you know Vasco Samuco, I'm sure. 
uh, Vasco, friend of the show. Uh, I told him that uh, I was uh, talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> really, we'll we'll have to have you guys on together as a joint podcast uh, for for this summer. You know, a few months ago, I had Vasco on, and I think it was in March. There, there were four Portuguese coaches left in the Europa League round of 16, I believe. And I, was, I said, okay, so we've got Paulo Fonseca, we've got uh, Luis Castro, and uh, the other one, Pedro Martins. We were struggling for the other one. It took us like five minutes and we could not think of it. And then I finally started to search it up. And then I realized it was Jose Mourinho. And it's like, we just started laughing because we, we sometimes forget that Mourinho is a Portuguese coach. You know, it's like he's been out of Portugal for so long that we, we almost forget that he's Portuguese sometimes. But he is. And as such, we have to talk about him right now because uh, some massive news this week coming out that uh, Mourinho will replace another Portuguese coach, Paulo Fonseca, and take charge of the Italian Vitoria de Guimarães, or uh, Roma, at the end of this season. Okay, so I don't know what to make of this. I was, you know, waiting for our talk uh, today to, to go over my thoughts on the Mourinho move, but let's let's get into this, because this is... This is going to be interesting, to say the least. Uh, what was your impression when you when you saw the news that Mourinho was going to take over Roma on, I think it was Tuesday? It was a total surprise, of course, I think, to, to everyone. Mourinho leaves Italy as a champion, as a king in Europe also with Inter. And um, he returns to get Roma, the seventh uh, spot right now in Italy. It's a different uh, team, a different challenge. I think it's positive to Mourinho leave the, the Premier League right now. It's uh, so complicated for him to, to get more opportunities in the, uh, the Premier League. But in Italy, I think um, they can um, uh, improve a, a little bit. It's a different ambience also. But uh, right now, Mourinho needs to prove himself. It's impossible to... Uh, how to say that? You can say it in Portuguese and I can try to translate it for you. É impossível negar que o estatuto de Mourinho não é o mesmo. Mourinho's status is not the same right now. Then Roma is a step down, clearly. Because Roma, like Vitória de Guimarães, has many problems defensively, individual and collectively with Paulo Fonseca and Mourinho with Thiago Pinto. Certainly an important person to uh, the centres of Mourinho in the, the Serie A will have to, uh, to work uh, so well in the markets to um, compose this Roma team. Yeah, Roma, it has not been a good season for them. Did get to the Europa League semifinals only to get absolutely destroyed by Manchester United. Currently seventh, which is somewhat misleading of a position because uh, Lazio have a game in hand and if they do beat Fiorentina then they will be 12 points 
12 points ahead of Roma, who are in 7th, whereas Roma just 2 points ahead of Sassuolo in 8th. Before we get into more Mourinho stuff, though, what do you think of Paulo Fonseca? What do you think of his job that he's done at Roma? Do you think the sacking is deserved? You know, I, I'm glad that I have you here because you do watch a lot of Serie A and other leagues. Talk to me about Fonseca, kind of a strange two years for him in Italy. And that being said, I think that he will have a decent amount of offers. Uh, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of coaching vacancies. I can see him managing in another top five league uh, next season. This uh, recent months was... Um clearly a, a disappointment. Paulo Fonseca lose control of, of this Roma team, defensively a chaos, offensively a team where we, uh, that, ex, that can explore the counter-attacks, but no much more. Paulo Fonseca's first season in Roma was positive, in my point of view. A team uh, with uh, instability, with problems, uh, with a squad that are not so uh, powerful, comparing to, to Juve, Inter, Milan. Also, it's a positive season. Um, this uh, season also, uh, till January, was uh, positive. Roma were fighting for the, the goals, were fighting for the champions in, in Serie A. Good campaign in Europe also. But then um, uh, there are many conflicts with Zeko, for example. I think that was not easy to, um, to Paulo Fonseca in terms of uh, control of the group, of the squad. And then um, Paulo Fonseca uh, was um, uh, composing the team more defensively uh, with man um, um, marking, for example, that was not um, useful in the uh, habits of Paulo Fonseca's teams. And right now, Roma is a uh, complete chaos. Absolutely. I, I do think that Fonseca will bounce back. I mean, he's already had success at, you know, other clubs such as Shakhtar and who knows, maybe I don't think he'll go back to Shakhtar, but there is going to be a vacancy, I believe, this summer at that club. But I think that he'll get an another job in the top five league. Maybe Leon. I don't know. That's it's a possibility. I, I, I don't think that he'll go to a Portuguese team because I don't see any unless unless Conceição leaves. But even that being said, I think he's kind of man who would rather try his luck in another. Maybe to Benfica in case of George Jesus leaving to Flamengo. Maybe, maybe that's another one. Yeah, I think he'll. I think he'll be fine. But. I, I want to touch up more on this on this Roma thing because you know it, I think that Roma, a club that is currently seventh, and there's a much wider gap between the six teams: Lazio, Napoli, Milan, Juventus, Atalanta, and Inter. Much wider gap between them and Roma than Roma and Hellas Verona or Sampdoria or Sassuolo and so on and so on. So for Mourinho to go to this team, you know, a non-Super League team, a team that, for one, has had, you know, a decent amount of injury issues in the past year that has had definitely a leaky back line that absolutely has had one of the worst big game records. I think looking at the biggest teams in Europe, they've they've been a complete catastrophe when it comes to big games this season under Paulo Fonseca. And I think that's the biggest reason why he's getting the uh why he's getting his marching orders after just two years. And 
finally a an ownership, the Friedkin Group coming out of H-Town, Houston, Texas, which hasn't really spent much in the way of money, you know, bringing in, they've made some cheap signings, such as Pedro uh, Rodriguez on a free transfer, um, such as, you know, I think getting Borja Mayoral on loan, although I believe there's an option to buy there with Mayoral. But overall, a lot of work to be done. I think it's clear that this Roma team reached their peak in, what was it, that second place finish in... 2017, I think, or t- and and of course got to the Champions League semifinal. It is probably to um, see Portuguese players in the Roma squad yeah. next year. That's what that's what I want to talk about as well because this Roma team, it's aging and it needs a rebuild job. You know, it needs a makeover, and I can't help but think. Mourinho is going to be getting his connections, getting George Mendes, and getting a lot of. Portuguese players and trying to, you know, rebuild this team with a few Portuguese players. Renato Sanchez has been mentioned. The problem is uh, Roma probably didn't um, get the European competitions. Right. That's that's an issue as well. Currently seventh, uh, not playing anymore in Europe. So not only is that going to be kind of... Is is obviously going to be hurting them in terms of attracting new players, such as Renato Sanchez, who, you know, if he stays at Lille, he's he's going to be playing Champions League football next season. But it's also really big in terms of you know a club that's still dealing with the effects of the COVID nineteen pandemic and that needs that Europa League, you know, Champions League prize TV money to fund these movements. So. It's just a bit weird, but um, who do you think, Mourinho, if, if you were Mourinho, who would you be targeting to uh, help fix this squad? In terms of Portuguese players, um, it's difficult. The, uh, the main necessity for, for Roma is uh, defensive players. Uh, defensive uh, midfielder, defensive uh, centre-backs also. In, uh, in terms of uh, wings, there are some problems um, Probably in the right side, Spinazzoli is a good player. Karsdorp is a, a more limited player, like Bruno Perez also. Brian, is, is Brian, I think Mourinho Brian, will play. The answer? Is the Texan Brian Reynolds the answer on the right side, you think? <laughs> yes. I think Mourinho will bring in a, four, a defensive four. Are changing the Paulo Fonseca system right now. But it's difficult to, to appoint a name. Do you have anyone? For for the right back position for the um, Agireta, the 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 face of the cuatro, I I think that um, well I mean looking at the right back position yeah Bruno Perez I think leaves Karsdorp I don't think Karsdorp is going to start for Mourinho team I mean he's he's done okay under Fonseca you know finally fit but I think they're going to I could definitely see them selling Karsdorp and having Brian Reynolds competing against a more experienced player because, I don't know, part of me thinks that Friedkin Group would want him to, you know, excel and uh, impress there. So I, I think that potential for them to sell Karsdorp uh, and and bring in a more experienced player, maybe Joao Pereira, we'll see. <laughs> um, the better question, perhaps, is who stays in the lineup if you're Mourinho, you know, because it's... I think you would find fewer players in that case than, you know, when talking about who, who you want to sell, you know. For you, if you're Mourinho, who stays in the lineup? Right now, 
Zeko is an old player. It's um, I'm curious to see if um, he continues in Roma's squad. Fazio and Smalling are um, uh, <laughs> players that can give some um, stability in the back for Mourinho's style. Uh, let's say the things in his way. But uh, there are many players uh, capable of uh, a strong Roma side in the midfield. I think there are in need of um, a defensive type of midfielder, like Obier, for example, in, in this Mourinho Tottenham. Uh, Diawar is um, a ball-playing midfielder, Villar also, uh, Pellegrini. It's important the, the return of Zaniolo to get some uh, creative, uh, creativity to, to the midfield. Mkhitaryan, it will uh, encounter Mourinho again in the, the United, Manchester United didn't get so well. But this Roman side has many problems, not only defensively, individually, but also in the tech. There are no replacements to Zeko, for example. Bohamayoral is a, a strong alternative, but not a, a player to get in the, in the 11, I think. There are many problems, I think. Roma will need a revolution in the squad to, to get Champions League in the next season. Do you think that Paulinho is worth looking at if you're if you're Mourinho? It costs Paulinho sixteen million to to Sporting. I think no, because um, it will need a big investment, like uh, twenty five, thirty million. And right. Paulinho is a twenty eight or twenty seven year old player. It's not. Uh, I don't see that happening. I agree with you that I think that Mourinho needed to step away from the Premier League. And I think that as such, Serie A is a good move for it. Um, I also think that Mourinho is not the kind of guy who will be, you know, demanding all these young players. You know, definitely more of a coach who is a short-term manager, you know, who I think similarly to his nemesis, Antonio Conte, uh, will go with that 29-year-old, 28-year-old, rather than the 21-year-old long-term project who they want to develop, you know? So I think that that's one positive, I think, from the Friedkin group. You know, not only do you get a coach who is, you know, experienced in winning and who, you know, has had a tough run of past few years but who is still a legend in Italy and I think you know has that aura but also a manager who uh, is dealing with an aging squad and some of those players will probably leave uh, I could see Edin Dzeko leaving and them get going big for a player such as Dusan Vlahovic then again are they going to be able to afford a Vlahovic with no European football and with Friedkin, you know, being kind of a penny pincher? I'm not 100% sure. Overall, though, this Roma team, the Italian Vittoria de Guimaraes needs a lot of help. And I don't know. I think Mourinho, I personally would have loved to see Roberto De Zerbi in charge of this Roma team. I don't know about you, but I think it would have been a wise choice. You know, at the end of the day, the devil is working hard. But George Mendez is always working harder. <laughs> and he is going to get his clients the best jobs available until the end of the world. So that's that. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Mourinho at Roma. Wish him all the best uh, because that club is going to need it. <laughs> I want to get into the talent of the week section, though, uh, where we talk about a player in the Portuguese league who is impressing or a Portuguese player or a player with Portuguese roots who's impressing outside of Portugal. So I want to get your take, Tomas. Who is your talent of the week for today's episode of the Cortalinhas podcast? 
we can talk about Andre Almeida, for example, the uh, Vitoria player. It's uh, really an, an enthusiastic talent and uh, technically many, uh, so many gifted. Is um, a strong player in um, uh, small uh, small spaces, and he can um, eliminate the pressure in uh, with the pass or also with um, the transportation of, of the ball. He really is um, uh, a player to clearly uh, step up in the next years with Pepe. Probably, I think um, we will see Andre Almeida in uh, one of the, the Portuguese big sides. Definitely. I like Andre Almeida's a lot as well. I think that he's, you know, definitely technically gifted and can, you know, I think that he's going to play an important role under Pepe, assuming that Pepe does join next season um, at Vitoria. So super exciting to see what happens with regards to that. My talent of the week, drumroll, same, so coming from the same place as the Friedkin group in Houston, and his name is Albert Ellis. Albert is a Honduran international, started off, uh, has, you know, a, an incredible rise to playing in Liga MX, uh, then eventually went to Houston, did pretty well there, and then got a move to Boa Vista with a lot of comings and goings last summer, you know, bringing in players uh, such as Reggie Cannon and Angel Gomez, who is definitely been the star of the show uh, since joining on loan from Lille. But Ellis has, you know, impressed me a lot in recent weeks. Um, he's a player who I think is is very much a big game player because even when he was kind of struggling to stay consistent, struggling to adapt, we saw him score some massive, get some massive goals and assists against, you know, uh, in that three nothing victory uh, against Benfica in November, bagging a goal against Porto in February, and really, you know, getting into hot form over the past month for Boavista, scoring goal, scoring a goal against Belenich, uh, Saad, grabbing two assists against Joav, grabbing another assist against Basso Chapeira, and recently bagging a brace on Saturday against Santa Clara in a 3-3 draw and definitely, you know, an important part of this Boavista attack. There were definitely some concerns for, you know, a, a few months back uh, that Boavista, after so much investment, that they would go down and it still isn't guaranteed or anything. Boavista currently in the relegation playoffs. They do have a, a game in hand at the moment, and they're going to be playing off against Tondela uh, today. So massive game for them. If they do defeat Tondela, then that means that they go ahead. Hugh Av and Famalicao, who also have a game today that they'll be playing against Santa Clara. So and obviously just a very fun jam-packed relegation fight and Boavista they're going to be doing whatever they can to stay up to stay alive talk to me about Albert Ellis though because I think that he's he's shown in recent weeks that he can be a, a player who I think similar a lot in many ways to Musa Marega you know energetic physically imposing who is almost like a, a mix between a striker and a winger and who can definitely explore the space in behind the defense right between the fullback and the center back uh, I think he would be good value because he's finally adapted in Portugal and he's, he's getting uh, these consistent performances so I, I think he's definitely going to be 
worth taking a look at for Porto. Maybe a higher up team such as Victoria, such as, you know, maybe, I don't know, Passos or Braga. But I, in general, I think that there's, it's been kind of a hot and cold season for Ellis. And I think that uh, there's a lot to come from him. What have you made of Ellis, though, uh, this season? Totally agree. It's not a coincidence that, that um, two of the best exhibitions of Albert Ellis was against Porto and against Benfica. Because uh, in that case, Bovista was exploring counterattacks, uh, open spaces. And then in that type of game, Ellis is really a, a devastating player. It's a player uh, which uh, caused many problems to, um, to the rivals. It's um, uh, many, uh, many uh, quick player, physically strong also. He really is um, a powerful play in, uh, player in the open spaces. Not so powerful with, um, uh, with the team having more uh, the ball, having um, more patient attacks. But I think they will get the, this step probably uh, if Boavista gets relegated. Albert Ellis uh, will not be relegated with Boavista. I definitely agree. So very glad to see him um, and to another degree, Reggie Cannon doing well after going from Texas uh, to Portugal. The future is bright, I think, for both of them. Um, but with that being said, thank you so much, Tomas, for coming on the show. It was a pleasure to have you on uh, and have your valuable insight. Uh, and I really hope to have you on again soon. Where can the people find you and listen to and, and read your fantastic insight? My Twitter. Tomás R. da Cunha on 11 Sports on TSF for the, the Portuguese people and then that's it. Thank you, Zach, for the, for the invitation. It's a little bit difficult to use technical terms in English but <laughs> we'll, 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 do this, to... we'll do this in Portuguese next time. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, or in Spanish. Or in so Spanish. Try. <laughs> Thank you. Of course. Um abraço. Thank you. Abraço.